All right, we are really excited to be here, aren't we? It is really good to see you. Uh, we're going to continue in this series. It's been a two-parter. If you weren't here last week, just a little bit about it. We've been in a series called The Holy Week. Last week, we covered uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday of Holy Week. We really zeroed in on Tuesday, the big conflict that we called the deadly uh, something, deadly conflict. Um, it wasn't that. Deadly difficulty is what we called it. And we're going to move from the deadly difficulty that was obviously between the religious leaders of Jesus' day and Jesus himself and how it had this deadly result. We shift now into a deadly difficulty that was surprisingly going to shift over to the disciples of Jesus during the rest of the week. There's silence as far as the recorded events goes on Wednesday. We pick up from Thursday, then Friday, then Saturday, then Sunday. So although we're celebrating today that Jesus is alive, I have to just bring you down a little bit because we've had a wonderful morning so far celebrating that already. But we're going to track with the disciples and how they felt gloom through this time period from Thursday night, midnight, all the way through Sunday morning. And so we're going to begin today with this question, and the question reads this way, have you ever felt like life is filled with darkness? Now, if you have ever felt like life is filled with darkness, you are going to identify with the message as we go through the first few phases today. We're going to track with one of the disciples, and we're taking cues from the writer to the Gospel of John. John is the one that tells us how this day, Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, begins. And he puts a phrase in there that we're going to use as our mechanism that is his way of thinking to see this through. So John 20, verse 1 reads, early on, the first day of the week, that's today, we're celebrating that Resurrection Sunday so long ago, early on that first day of the week, while it was still dark. You need to know something about John, the writer. He often throughout his gospel and his letters uses the theme of light and darkness. And he does this double thing frequently in his gospel where he refers to a time signature and this being still dark as in early morning before dawn, but he uses the time signature of darkness, like night, to refer to something more than simply night. And he'll do this light and dark thing frequently. So we're tracking with this phrase while it was still dark. He means something more than pre-dawn. It was still dark, devastatingly dark for all of the distraught disciples at this point. So here we are, are ready to celebrate the conclusion of the day, the Resurrection Sunday, and I'm taking you down, sorry, but we're going to do this to feel a little bit of what they felt and then walk through with them. We're going to track with Mary Magdalene, just as John in his gospel tracks with her. So your outline today is something I've never done before. I usually preach linearly. I attempt to preach logically. I attempt to preach step by step by step. The only thing linear in your outline today are the time signatures. 
But because of what Mary is going through, you have word clouds from each time signature that she is all over the place in this experience of it still being dark. So I'm asking this of you, if you want to today, as you're listening to this description of what Mary went through, if you identify with one of those words, circle it. I have no blanks to fill in today. Circle that word, identify with that word, and keep listening, and keep hoping, and keep allowing what we're coming to, to bring hope to that word you identify with in Mary's darkness. Now, if you don't do that today, I hope that by the time we finish, sometime this week, you'll go back and look at these sound bites, these, these word clouds, and go, yeah, I struggle still with this. I struggle still with this, and take it right to the final word cloud that we're going to celebrate together with. So... We're literally starting on Sunday morning, but it's still dark, and so we're going to track with the memories and the feelings and, and things that are not linear in orientation. That morning, she's still feeling all of this stuff, and it started Thursday at midnight when her life began to unravel. Thursday at midnight, there was a pounding on the door where she was staying. She was staying with a lot of the ladies, the, the traveling companions, the lady disciples, with a guest house, and there's pounding on the door past midnight, and breathless and distraught were several of the disciples, not all of them, who were obviously devastated by what had taken place, and they said, we've got to tell you what's just happened. Jesus has been arrested, and we can't believe we let it happen. He asked us to watch and pray, and we failed him. We fell asleep. You can't believe what happened. And there were so rapid fire in discussion. Everybody's just woken up in the dead of night and they're trying to listen and track with what has happened and they know it's devastating news that they hauled Jesus off. They're wondering where Peter and John are. They're not even sure. But we've got to pray now. We failed him then. We've got to pray now. And so they began an all-night prayer vigil praying for the arrested Jesus. Can you imagine trying to pray? when you're still processing the fact that your Lord and Master has just been arrested and it's not looking good. And this is what Mary has to go through from midnight of Thursday night on. Friday morning. More bad news. Peter and John come back to where they were staying. None of the disciples are there. They go and find where the disciples are. It was easy to put two and two together and find them all praying. And oddly enough, when they get there, young John does all the talking. Peter does not look like himself. Peter does not look well at all. And John explains, it was a farce. They tried him in the middle of the night. There's no justice to it. I can't believe what took place. And on and on he talks about how horrible it was. But we can't wait here. We got to go. They are even now dragging him to the Roman tribunal, the governor, to the headquarters. They're, they're planning on trying him for treason. And they know that that means death. And they immediately rush out. And they can't believe it. Whole crowds are moving. How did all of these people hear about this so fast? Well, his deadly enemies want the crowds to be there. They need the crowds to be in support of what's taking place. And the crowds are heading toward a trial. And news is rapid fire going everywhere. Friday, early morning. When they mingle into the crowd, the lady disciples as well as the men disciples 
are standing in amongst the crowd, in the back, trying to be um, in a, not noticed because they're thinking, they arrested Jesus for treason, are we next? And they're standing in the back watching this whole thing. It is absurd how the trial goes. Pilate has stated, I believe this man is innocent. I see that he has done nothing wrong. He stated it repeatedly. And even still, by the time the trial comes to its conclusion, he then declares, so, yes, I deliver him up to you to be crucified. How did that happen? But it happened. And Mary is devastated. And she clings to another Mary, the mother of Jesus who is devastated, and together they're just clinging and beginning to sob, and they see him flogged. And he's beginning to be brought to the place of his crucifixion. The nightmare begins. They start in the crowd on the outskirts. They eventually make their way towards the front. I'm guessing that it's very difficult to hear the raspy, weakened voice of Jesus and multiple times. He goes to the effort to do more than breathe. He goes to the effort to communicate and they want to hear what he has to say. Young John is the only disciple who's there at the scene as far as we know. But he also didn't want the women to be alone and makes his way to the front. That's Friday morning. At Friday noon, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record a strange phenomenon. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. I've heard a number of people try to pin it down to an eclipse and try to figure out dates and all this kind of things. Folks, eclipses don't bring a darkness for three hours that is palpable. This is a darkness that's very much like the darkness that was brought to judge Egypt. Three days of darkness judged Egypt to set the Israelites free as one of the plagues. Now this darkness for three hours comes down over all of the mocking crowd. And suddenly the mockery is silenced and people are scared. What is going on here? The ladies and John stood firm. But many, not all, started to filter away. They didn't want to be anywhere near the place. Crowds still lingered, but some couldn't take the darkness, and they began to make their way home. Friday at 3 p.m., Jesus died. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, sobbed, clinging to each other for mutual support. Suddenly, there's this rumbling 
and it's more than rumbling. Matthew says that it split the rocks. This earthquake hit. Can you imagine? Darkness. The words that Jesus had said. And now an earthquake. Everybody is screaming except for the followers of Jesus. They're just weeping, holding on to each other, trying to keep their balance. And then there's silence. There are multiple events that take place at that point. John is riveted by every feature and writes about them. But then John, as he's watching them take the body of Jesus down from the cross, suddenly remembers what Jesus himself had said to him, that he needed to take care of Mary, his mother. He looked over at Mary and Mary is not coping. John holds her and walks her away. Mary Magdalene refuses to leave. The other ladies are trying to get her to go away with Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's time to leave now. He's dead. She couldn't do it. She was going to see this thing through. She was not going to leave him for a moment. And she wanted to know where they were going to put him. The other ladies resolved with her to go with her and see what was going to happen. And she follows the corpse of Jesus and watches all that takes place and is quite surprised to discover that they're putting him as a result of a discussion into a wealthy man's tomb. When they rolled the huge stone into its groove and it was sealed shut, and they sealed it, and everybody laughed except Roman guards. Mary and the other ladies finally, after all of this time, sat and sobbed. Mary wouldn't have laughed, except one of the ladies said, Mary, we've got to go. The sun is dropping down. It's Sabbath. We've got to go home. Reluctantly, they made their way home. As it's getting darker and darker and darker. Friday night was the worst night of Mary's life. Horrible scenes kept playing through her mind, replaying and replaying and replaying. Darkness began to close in on her. She realized it wasn't an ordinary darkness, it was sinister. She was familiar with this feeling. She remembered how this darkness, this sinister darkness was her experience in the past. Jesus had released her from demons before. What is going on now? Is it because he's dead that I am being plagued again by demons? And she realized what she had been thinking. She was nursing her anger and she was nursing her hate as scene after scene was played before her brain. How dare they do this to him? She was nursing her anger and nursing her hate if she could just strike out at somebody. And then her anger and her darkness was cut through by another memory. 
Just hours earlier, Father, the raspy voice had said in weakness, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And yet Mary resisted. She resisted the very idea of forgiveness. And that night grew darker still. Saturday morning, how ironic that it's a Sabbath, a day that is dedicated to worship, that day that everybody is to dedicate to rest. She didn't sleep a wink. She still couldn't. She couldn't worship. She couldn't rest. Seemed like nobody in Jerusalem could worship. Oh, they went to synagogue, but everything was off. Nobody could rest. There was whisperings before. There was whisperings after. They were saying things like, did you hear? It was one of his own. One of his own had betrayed him. And did you hear? Did you hear? They found his body. The person who told it to Mary didn't whisper. The person who told it to Mary knew the facts. The person who told it to Mary named the name. Judas had betrayed Jesus. Judas had hung himself. They found Judas dead. Saturday evening rolls around. Things are not getting any brighter. It was another very dark night. This time the mocking words plague her. Words like, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Spoken by people who had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead, and rather than believe in him, they decide he's got to go. The whole Community is going to follow him. And then she begins to think through this mocking question. Why didn't he save himself? He could have. I thought he was going to. Why did he not save himself? Were the chief priests right? Was he a liar and a blasphemer? Or worse... Was there really no God at all? Why should she go on living? What was there to live for anymore? And oh, that night was so very, very dark. And so we come back to John's statement. Early on the first day of the week on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, the way John put it. The way he finishes the sentence, we have to say, however, something took place in Mary's heart. She was resolved. She was resolved to go to the tomb as she and the other ladies agreed to go. 
to honor him anyway. This small band of ladies had committed to go. So there it was. Honor him anyway. He deserved to be honored. She would honor him in sp- despite the risk. She got up to do what they all agreed to do. It was the right thing to do. And imperceptibly, even to her, the darkness began to lift. Returning to the path that is right, things become clearer. He was a good man, no more doubts there. He was not a liar, no more doubts there. Jesus valued and honored us, us ladies. We will value and honor him. No more doubts there. The band of women all felt the same way. Jesus honored and valued them. He believed they made valuable contributions to his kingdom. Then they began to wonder, but what of his kingdom now? Was it nothing but a crushed dream? These are the thoughts of the walking band on a dark morning heading towards a tomb. And these thoughts were interrupted once again by an earthquake. Instantly, there's flashbacks of horror. Flashbacks to just days ago. Horrible scenes are running through their minds. They're clinging to each other, wondering, is this the end of the world? And then, as quickly as it came, it stopped, and there was silence. Somebody voiced, what do we do now? Do we keep going or do we go back? They looked at each other and said, no, we keep going. We're going to honor him. And they were resolved to do so. It was like as soon as they're able to make that decision, their minds were beginning to think more clearly. One of them says, who's going to... Who's going to roll the stone away? They hadn't thought of that earlier. And nobody needed to answer the question because within moments they had rounded the bend. And Mary gasped because the stone had not only been rolled back, it had been thrown out of its groove and was laying flat on the surface. And they thought, what is going on here? And instantly, rather than being Relieved and feeling like great news has taken place, Mary's anger and hatred welled up within her again. What have they done to his body? And she began to feel the darkness come back to her again. And the other lady said, we need to get help. We need to find out what's happened here. And she immediately volunteered and brought her darkness back and said, I will get help. She was the youngest. So it was the most logical thing to do, but she needed to do something. And she said, you wait, I'll go. And she began to run to find the disciples. Somebody had taken the body. Somebody had 
desecrated. Why? When will this nightmare never end? And off she goes. Where have they taken him? What have they done with him now? She finally found Peter and John. And here's what she said. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Peter and John, what? Immediately got up. And they themselves began to walk at first, it seems, from the text. And then they began to run. And then John tells us he gets there first. Not sure what that was about. But he also tells us he hesitated to go into the tomb, and Peter arrives. He goes straight in. Mary falls way behind. Think of how exhausted she is. Think of how she's been distraught and how much she's been going, going, going. She falls way behind. And by the time she arrives at the tomb, Peter and John are already running back, a little slower this time, running back. They barely acknowledge anything to her, say anything to her, and just keep going. And Mary finally arrives at the tomb, and the ladies are gone. And she just sinks to the ground and sobs. What is going on here? She, she regathers herself just enough to get up again. She heads towards the tomb. It's now light enough to where she can see, and she stoops down, and looks into the tomb, and she's surprised because two men in white, one at the foot and one at the head of the bed, are sitting there. They ask her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. Self-consciously, I picture her now averting her faith, face. In uh, that day, she didn't want all these two strangers to see her face. She averted her face, and she's just a crying mess. And in fact, she, I think at that point, we can make all kinds of guesses as to what we know now in retrospect, these two angels are thinking. And perhaps they know what's coming. They say nothing. Mary steps away from the tomb to, to stand, face averted, turns, and is surprised there's somebody else standing right there. And then we read, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. She thought he was a gardener. <laughs> She's still not looking at him. I still think she, her face is averted. She's not wanting anybody to see her in the condition she's in. And then she hears this. Mary. She had heard it before. She turns and looks at him face to face. And she says, Rabboni! Which in Aramaic means teacher. It's what she'd always called him. And he'd always called her Mary. She had just imagined when she said, she had just imagined stooping to lift and single-handedly carry Jesus' corpse away. And now she sees that he's alive, so she drops 
and clings to the one she imagined holding, but he's alive, and she is not going to let him go. That's why Jesus says an awkward sentence in John 20, verse 17. NIV kind of makes it even harder to figure out what's going on. Do not hold on to me. I think it's fair to say, Mary, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. At this point in the story, I want us to see the screen. I don't want us to get the point. Never forget how in the dark you once were. Others are still there. They need to know. Now go! We love to come. We love to worship. We love to cling to Jesus. We love to hang out with Jesus. We love to be all about Jesus. Let's not forget how darkness enveloped us and how bad it was. And there are others who do not know Jesus is alive. Mary did not want to go. But she obeyed. And she ran. And as she ran, the slap, 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 slap of her sandals was going in rhythm with her pound, 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 pound of her heart. And she, who was so exhausted to the point of collapse, suddenly felt this new energy coursing through her. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Who do you need to go tell? Who do you need to go love? Who do you need to go forgive? Don't just hang out with Jesus. He tells us to hang out with him, sure. But he also tells us I have filled you with purpose. Would your heart beat with my purpose and go and tell somebody Jesus is alive? Would you pray with me? Father God, we are grateful that we get to look at Four portraits, piecing this story together from four different perspectives and angles that soon became even more portraits, even more angles. Jesus, we thank you that you honored Mary, the first person to see you alive, with the privilege of being the first evangelist. And yet you've called us to experience you fully alive as well. And you've commissioned us to be evangelists as well. There are countless others who saw you alive 
filled with power, resurrection power through your spirit, causing your kingdom to explode with growth and your will to be done. We want to join that band, that band of the result, to come away from the tomb, not wondering about an empty tomb, but in a relationship with a living Lord. We thank you for what you've done. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for taking our sins away. Thank you for filling us with resurrection power and giving us a brand new start. No more darkness. Just love and joy and peace and hope. We keep looking to you. We're following you and we're listening and obeying you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. I'm very excited about next week. We're going to begin a series out of 2 Timothy, which was Paul's last letter right before he died. And the series is going to be called Fan Into Flame. We're going to be looking at all those things that we need to fan into flame. It's a very personal, very passionate letter from Paul. I can't wait to begin it. Hope to see you back next week. God bless you. Jesus is alive. We have a prayer team to the left of the stage. If you would like prayer about anything, uh, the heaviness that you're going through, one of those circled words, they'd be happy to pray for you. Uh, Don't go away heavy-hearted. There's Jesus here for you. Let somebody pray with you. God bless.